super hard off mute. Wonderful. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. See if I can get this in. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, if you want to open them to Acts, we're in. Uh, Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be spending our time. It was absolutely wonderful. I hope you agree. Uh, last week, reading through the first six and a bit chapters of Acts. So, such a good thing to do. And just wonderful. Thank you if you're one of the readers. Uh, it's, just, it's just a privilege hearing it both in English and Swedish and just hearing the word of God. And just, it's wonderful. So, thank you for that. Uh, but we're going to be continuing our, our new series, Kingdom People, uh, today. So, we're going to be going back to the beginning of Acts, and we're going to be starting in chapter 1 today. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to catch you up on the reason, really, we have decided to choose Acts. Why Acts? Why, why now? If you've been with us for a while, you'll know as a church we love community. We love spending time together. Yeah, this last year, year and a half, obviously, has been very different. We've been very very much separated physically. We've not been able to be here. We've not been able to be at people's houses so much. And so we find ourselves really today, over the last couple of weeks, in a bit of the beginning of a new season, a new time for us, as we're able to start gathering again on Sundays, as we're able to start gathering again in homes and, you know, wherever, coffee shops. And when we open up the book of Acts we see a small group of people, very small group of people, also at the beginning of something new. What they knew from days ago has completely been changed. They are at the beginning of a new season. And as we go through the book of Acts, we find that it's descriptive. It describes the early church. So one way we understand the book of Acts is it's descriptive. It tells us about the history of the early church, how it began. But as we also look at the book of Acts, we find it being prescriptive. There's things in there that we can take and we can learn and we can put into action. So my hope and my prayer is as we go through this book, we see how the early church started, how a group of confused, angry doubting disciples became the church it is today, worldwide, millions and millions, that we see that. But my hope is much more that we see how these stories can affect our lives today here in Gothenburg. See, I believe that God has put each one of you here in Gothenburg for a reason, I'm convinced of it, convinced of it. And we've, as a church, we've had this picture of this chess player playing a game of chess and, and almost as if, like, there's all these different pieces that are being strategic. I don't play chess, but I know, I know enough to know that you don't think the next move, you think the next five moves ahead. And there's this player just placing different pieces around the chessboard. And we've had this picture given to us as a church, and we believe it's God placing us in different places in Gothenburg. Schools. Privileged to have so many teachers amongst us. Different workplaces. Different first schoolers. Different playgrounds. Different sport clubs. 
different hairdressers. And God's placing us. And as we are placed by God in these different places, we want to open the book of Acts and see what does that say to us today? And we want to ask the question, what does it mean to be kingdom people? What does it mean to be a people of the kingdom? A people who so in love with God, who so see Jesus as their king in a country, in a culture that is very, very different to a lot of biblical values. And so as we open the book of Acts, I'm going to pray in a minute. And my prayer is this, and I hope you join with me over these next weeks and months. My prayer is this, that we, we see scripture for what it is and we let it change us and we let it affect our everyday life, wherever the chess player has placed you. So Father God, we love you. We love you. We thank you that you are good. We thank you for the truths that we are reminded of as we sing, as we lift our voices together and we hear each other pray and sing and we remind ourselves, Jesus, that you have done it all. And however we feel, you are so, so good. And Jesus, we pray in this this day ahead, in these days ahead as we go through the book of Acts, Lord, may we live out the stories that we read. May we see it as descriptive, absolutely, Lord, but may we see it as prescriptive. Lord, may we hunger after seeing the same things happen in Gothenburg today as happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And now we're part of the story to the ends of the earth. Holy Spirit, we just, we've said it, we've said it, but we, we just want to acknowledge, Lord, that, we, that we are, our hearts are open for you. And Lord, we just pray, Spirit, just speak to us. Speak through me this morning. Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 1. Let's crack on. So Acts chapter 1, I'm reading from the NIV, verse 1. In my former book. Okay, so this is Luke writing Acts. He's talking about the gospel to Luke. The gospel of Luke. Luke's gospel. Uh, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, because that's his death on the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, "'Do not leave Jerusalem,' But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples still hadn't got it. It's nice. In the same boat. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus 
who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of God. Amazing. So let's just get our bearings. We find ourselves in the book of Acts. This is Luke's second book, his first book being Luke. And in that book, what we read is what Jesus began to do and teach. And we get that right at the beginning, first one. So Luke's gospel, what Jesus began to do and teach. And it's wonderful hearing from Isaiah 61, Verity. Uh, this morning, that's not her nickname, by the way. That's the Bible passage that she quoted. <laughs> we don't call her Isaiah 61. Um, but hearing from Verity this morning about the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. And Jesus prophetically in Luke 4, he, he speaks that promise and he rolls up the, the scroll and he says it, it is fulfilled. That is, that, that's the declaration that's of the kingdom coming. That's what Jesus did in the gospel of Luke. That he loved people. He was good news to the poor. He healed. And so he gathered many, many people around him. So we find in Luke 9 that there's literally thousands of people coming to see Jesus. Thousands. And so they're so passionate about Jesus and, and hearing what he's got to say, seeing what he's got to do, that they forget their packed lunch. And so there's this miracle, isn't there, of, of the feeding of the 5,000, which is actually more likely 15,000. And then we get to the book of Acts, and, and there's this real different feel. Everyone's gone home. There's not thousands of people now, sort of like, what's he going to say next? What's he going to do next? Everyone's gone home. Jesus was like yesterday's news, except for a very, very small group of people. We're told 120, a very small group of people. But they were loyal. And these, these, these men in white robes at the end of the scripture that we read today call them men of Galilee. Men of Galilee. And that's not like an impressive title. Galilee is this kind of out, out in the middle of nowhere province, like in the Roman Empire. No one's really heard of Galilee. And it's not that impressive. And you're kind of like, you're men of Galilee. You're not impressive. You're not men of Gothenburg, a, a, a vibrant, lively city that's exciting and a place to be, and that's why we're building so many things. No, you're men of Galilee. You're out there in the middle of nowhere. You're not impressive. In fact, Acts, uh, a little bit further on, we read in chapter 4 that Luke calls these guys, some of their leaders, Peter and John, ordinary. Isn't that a nice word to hear? Unschooled. These guys weren't impressive. They were nothing to write home about. But what we see right at the beginning is we see these wonderful, wonderful words that Jesus had chosen them. Verse 2. He had chosen. And so all of a sudden, these men of Galilee, these unschooled, ordinary men, become chosen of God. And that changes everything. And it's so important that we hear this message this morning, that we are chosen that we may feel very ordinary, very weak, from Galilee, wherever that is, but you are chosen by God. And that changes everything. Jesus has hand-picked you. The, the master chess player is positioning you, and he has chosen you, so you're not here because of accident or because of fluke. God is placing you. 
And so he spends 40 days teaching them, and you can just imagine what that 40 days was like, opening up the Old Testament, unrolling the scrolls, and talking about how Moses and Abraham and Ruth and, and, and all the laws and how everything pointed to Jesus. How everything was being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the 40 days. Incredible time. You can imagine as he unrolls the scroll and you catch the light through his hand that still has the nail-pierced hole in it. And he unlocks these things that you've been confused about and still are confused about. And he just explains it to you. Talks about the kingdom of God. We read about it at the end of Luke as well, so read it when you can. Talks about going into the nations. And you can imagine, as one of these guys who aren't impressive, hearing from the impressive one. And you must have been getting excited. I mean, can you imagine? What a time to be alive. Often it's an icebreaker question, isn't it? Where, what time would you like to be alive? Or who would you have liked to meet? Those 40 days would have been a very interesting time to be alive and sitting under the teaching of Jesus in those days. Andrew Wilson, eat your heart out. Impressive stuff. What a time to be alive. And then he says this word that, if you're anything like me, you'll be really disappointed to hear. After un unlocking and talking about the kingdom of God and unlocking these scriptures and saying, we're going to go into the nations, and you're with the risen King Jesus, and you're like, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. We're not impressive, but he's very impressive. Let's go, we're, we're behind you. He says this, wait. He says, wait. And if you are anything like me, I mean, I struggle to wait for a McDonald's. It's too long. The kids in the car are like, why is it taking so long? I'm like, it's 30 seconds. No. They've obviously got that from me. Nina's more patient. Wait. So why wait? And Jesus says very clearly, wait for the promise of the Father. In the Old Testament, there are about 8,000 promises. That's a lot of promises. God is a promise-giving God. He speaks promise. 8,000, that's one for every three verses. It's a lot of promises. Yet, Jesus puts it in a way, and Luke writes it down in a way, that there's one promise that encapsulates all the other promises. It is the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. And Jesus says it's this, it's to be baptised with the Spirit. There's one promise that so encapsulates everything else that is to be baptized, that, that, that is called the promise of the Father, and that is to be baptized with the Spirit. Which then leads us to another question. Well, why, why wait to be filled with the Spirit? Surely we've got you, Jesus. We'll, 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 go, we'll go for it. Then we read these verses in verse 8 that are the key to unlocking the book of Acts. Happens early in the book of Acts. Jesus says, this is why. This is why you need to receive the promise of the Father. This is why you need to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why do we need to be filled with the Spirit? So that we can be filled with power 
and be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus putting the Great Commission in different words. Matthew 28, we all know Matthew 28. All authority on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, baptize, teach, make disciples. Here we have the Great Commission just put in different words. You will receive power and you will go. This is how Abraham's promise that he got given by God, that he'll be a father of the nations, is going to be fulfilled. It hadn't been going so well. Still pretty local. Long time, but pretty local. Yet when we get to here, suddenly we realize something. We go into the nations. How? By being filled with the Spirit. It's how it's all going to happen. This unlocks not just the book of Acts, although it does. We read Acts always with this in the background, but it unlocks the story of Scripture. How are we supposed to fulfill Abraham's promise? By being filled with the Spirit. By receiving the the promise of the Father. You will receive power. You will receive a purpose. You will receive a plan. And so we're going to spend 10, 15 minutes or so looking at these three Ps. Power, purpose and plan. The first thing he says, you will receive power. Okay, you won't receive, you will receive power. It's important that we hear this. The Greek word dynamis is the word that Alfred Noble, a son of Sweden, borrowed to put to his blasting powder, as he called it. He made this blasting powder, it's really powerful, I don't know what it called it. Dynamis, dynamite. It says something about what it is. You will receive dynamite when the promise comes upon you dynamis acts the acts of the apostles it's not the acts of the apostles it's the acts of the apostles filled with dynamis filled with power it's what Jesus continues to do through the power of the Holy Spirit chapter book one Luke what he began to do and teach Book 2, Acts, what he continues to do and teach, how by the power, by the dynamis, by the dynamite of the Spirit at work amongst the men of Galilee, amongst me and you. So how are you feeling? You're feeling unimpressive? Feeling tired? I know some of us are who just had a baby. (laughs) Not that much, not that impressive. Paul describes us beautifully in 1 Corinthians as not wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Now, maybe some of us were. Some of us are. But not many. That's how we're described. This is the Christian, how you're described. My friends, if you think you are impressive, if you think you are the wise one, actually what we see in Scripture is no. We are unwise. We're foolish. But God chooses the foolish. He chooses the unwise. Just a quick study, which would be a wonderful series, looking at the heroes of the Bible. But what you will notice that is true of every one of them is that they all had flaws. They all had things that they were working through. They were all just like us. Moses, they won't listen to me. Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. 
Gideon sort of looks at his arms, looks at his clan. Oh, we're just weak. Jeremiah, I'm too young. I'm, just, I'm a baby. I'm a baby. Paul himself, not wise, not eloquent. The book of scripture is full, absolutely full of people who aren't impressive. Just like, I'm sorry to say, (laughs) us. Just like people in this room. Yet, I can imagine Jesus as his teaching on those 40 days, looking around the room and you've got Thomas doubting, kind of like probably poking, trying to poke his feet. Yeah, Yeah, still the same today. You've got the brothers probably squabbling, fighting, you know. You've got Peter oh, still a little bit sad about, you know, the servant girl. Yeah, don't mention the servant girl. And yet Jesus looking at them, saying this, these are my guys. These are who I have chosen. These are who I have handpicked from all of eternity. These are my guys. And I believe he's saying the same this morning. He's saying that these are my guys. And he looks at us and says, you are my guys. And he looks at other churches around this city and this nation and the nations and he says, these are my guys. And yet they don't look like much. But you wait until the power, the dynamis, the dynamite comes upon them. And I'm going to change these unschooled, ordinary men and they're going to change the world. These are my guys. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will see power. The second P, purpose. Why did they need to be filled with power? To witness. The church's essential calling and task is to bear witness, is to tell people That is our essential calling, to tell people, to bear witness, to witness about God, about who he is, about what Jesus is doing. We witness, we tell, we talk. And that's our purpose. And so why has the chess master player moved you into position? To witness. I think it's a real question that a lot of us struggle with understandably like and it's a real question like why why am I here what am I doing in life and in one way there's like there's a real important question and it's important to wrestle with that and and pray and open scripture and receive the prophetic and and friends wise counsel in another way it's actually quite simple God's called you to be a witness He's placed you in a place for a specific time, for a specific reason. Why? To witness. To tell people about Jesus. It actually isn't much more complicated than that. We like to make it more complicated, because we are complicated. (laughs) But to witness. To witness. Acts 4.20, Peter and John, some of the early leaders, they say this, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They just can't help themselves. They just have to speak. It gets them into trouble. We are going to find out in Jerusalem and especially as it goes into Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They get in trouble, but they can't help it. We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. And friends, it is the same today. 
we have called, we've been called by God to witness. We should be able to apologize to our friends at work and say, sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm going on about Jesus again, but I just can't help it. He's just so good. He's just done this thing. I was a wreck. I was broken. I was hurting. I had no future. And then suddenly I met this Jesus and my life's completely transformed. I now have hope. I now have a meaning. Life's not always easy, for sure. But you know what? I always look to Jesus. And, and in the darkness, I find light. In the breaking, I find restoration. Jesus, he's my hero. He's my friend. And so we witness. We witness of God's grace. We tell people about God's grace. We live out grace. We demonstrate God's grace by living gracefully. We witness of his healing. We witness of his victory. We witness of his hope. We witness, we tell, we talk. There's a little bit of a challenging question that I would like to put to you, if I may. And I put it to myself as well. And the question is this, when was the last time you spoke about what Jesus has done in your life to someone? And if you're anything like me, and I don't know whether it's because I'm an English Christian or whatever it is, but I am very slow to speak to people about Jesus, the one who I love the most. I love my wife and I love my kids a massive amount. I love Jesus more. So why am I slow to talk about him? I, I, I don't know why it is. But our greatest call is to witness. Witness about Christ. To tell people about Jesus. Yet strangely, for some reason, it's one of the things we do the least. Don't know why that is. Let's, let's challenge ourselves with that. Let's challenge ourselves with this week... I'm going to tell one person about something that Jesus has done in my life. How he's given me hope. How he's broken something. Let's be a people who shout about Jesus. It's wonderful worshipping together. I think Alid leads us so well, leads the team so well in, and leads us as a church so well in worship. And it's great to hear your voices. And we, as we shout out what Jesus has done, as we talk about his goodness, his grace. But let's take it from the Sunday morning and let's take it onto the streets. Let's take it into our workplaces. I don't mean the singing, because then everyone's going to look at you thinking you're quite strange. If I work with Nicole, if she sees me in the Fika room sort of singing like a worship song, everyone's going to be like, oh, you know Mr. Bye, do you? Josh, they call you by the surname. But actually, we witness in other ways, don't we? We tell people about who Jesus is. Chris Wright, Christopher Wright says this, that mission was not made for the church, but the church was made for mission. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. So mission, telling people about Jesus, is what mission is, making disciples. It's not one part of our program. We have a wonderful kids' work. We have small groups, kind of, will be starting at some point. We have, we have FICA, we have worship team, we have you know, all these different departments. Is, is mission just one of those departments? No. All of those departments exist to launch us into mission. Why is, why is it so important that our kids are having a good time at kids' work? So they'll be sent on mission. The mission field is everywhere. And I tell you, for us it's difficult. For our children it's even more difficult. 
And so we, 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 we get them prepared for mission. That's what kids' work is for. That's what small groups are for. That's what worship is for. It's all aimed for mission. It's all aimed for going out, for making disciples. Everything is building towards it. It's the purpose. Power, purpose, and then finally, the plan. What's the plan? Well, go from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. That's the plan. Jesus lays it out there. And we're the fruit, we're the result of that. We're not going to get there, but Acts 28, the end of Acts, is such a random ending. You can read it when you get home. It's like Paul is, he's got a house, working, and that's the end. Luke leaves it like that for a reason. I am learning Swedish. I am forgetting English. I am bad at Swedish. I am bad at English. And often what happens is that I forget English words that are quite simple. And so I might think, I, I think I, you did it yesterday actually, Nina. I, I would say something and then I forget a word and then someone else will come in and finish the sentence. And hopefully they've got the right word and you're like, yep, that's the word I was looking for. No, that's not the word at all. So someone else finishes my sentence quite often because I forget a lot of words. Luke finishes Acts 28 mid-sentence and he challenges us to finish his sentence. He challenges us to pick up where the early church left off. So what does this mean for us? Do we go from Gothenburg, Jerusalem, to Vestrietaland, Judea, Jönköping's land, so the, the place next to it, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth? Maybe. Maybe. Our heart as a, as a young, small church plant is to impact the nation and the nations. Why? Because that's what Jesus said to do. But that's big vision. That's big plans. How does it impact? How do we go away today impacted, changed? I would suggest that we just start where we are. Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem. And so I ask you, where is your Jerusalem? Your workplace. Where you live. The friends you hang around with. The things that you do. The school gates. Where is your Jerusalem? I want to encourage you to see that as the place to start. And who knows what God will do? It's a privilege having, it's difficult, but it's a privilege having people who have been part of us now in different nations. We have someone in Canada being part of a church plant over there, very similar to what we're doing. Other side of the world. So who knows where it will end? Hopefully everyone stays in Gothenburg. <laughs> but who knows? And that's up to God. But what we do know is where we're going to be in a couple of hours. We do know where our Jerusalem is. The mission field is all around us, as we well know. So as we come into land, as we come to finish, what does it mean to be kingdom people? What does it mean to be people of the kingdom? It means we're ordinary. It means we're common. It means we're not special, we're weak, we're small. Yet, filled with the Spirit clothed 
with power on high. Ali's going to continue talking about this next week in Acts 2, but of people who are clothed with power from on high. That's what it looks like to be kingdom people. People who, having been clothed with power on high, realize the purpose to tell people about Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for me. You're, you're injured, I can pray for you. Where, wherever you are, you're Jerusalem. And let's see and let's hope and let's pray that God takes us from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, as he already has and will continue to do.